Welcome to the Coffee Chat. Today, I'm speaking to Emily Aries. Emily is the CEO and founder of Bossed Up, an award-winning personal and professional development company she founded in 2013. Emily has both a podcast and a book called Bossed Up, and I highly recommend both. Her podcast episodes are also around 30 minutes each, which is the perfect amount of time to consume content either before work or right after, but I'm biased clearly because I'm also very focused on 30 minutes of content for my own podcast. I always listen to Bossed Up on a morning run or walk and it's super motivating and it's all centered around female empowerment and professional development. I first heard about Emily a few years ago when I was working at American Express. She spoke at a women's network event, and I was totally blown away by how confident and assertive she was. I took a ton of inspiration from her talk that day about confidence in communication, and it still really resonates with me today. I can't wait for you to hear from Emily. We talk about everything from shifting gears in her career, speaking up and having confidence while shedding expectations that society puts on you, how to deal with interruptions and interrupters, and the importance of picking your battles. Oh, and we also talk about stress recovery at the end, which is really fun. And hint, Netflix binge might not be that great for your stress recovery. With that, please welcome Emily Aries. Thank you so much, Emily, for joining the coffee chat. Thank you, Um, Olivia, for having me. So can you get started with telling us a little bit about Bossed Up, the business and the book, and how you got started with it? Oh my gosh, absolutely. So Bossed Up is a really global community of women who believe in advocating on our own behalf, which is still such a radical act in this world. We really help women create radical progress in our careers on our own terms. And this is the community that I needed earlier on in my career when I felt totally burnt out exhausted from trying to perfect, perform, and please everyone else around me that I never even really paused to ask myself what I really wanted, much less demand it from the world. So after that whole way of working just was not really working for me, I kind of hit the reset button early on in my life and career, walked away from the career trajectory that I'd been pursuing as a fast rising political operative um, with a life that looked pretty great on paper, but felt so hollow and miserable because I was just in a really toxic relationship at the time and in a, in a career path that looked good for someone else, but didn't feel good for me. And so I had to learn how to not only find my inner voice and listen to it, but actually express and demand what I needed and wanted in my life. And Turns out my story is far from unique. So in 2013, I launched Bossed Up to bring together other women, especially those in male-dominated industries who struggled with the same things that I was struggling with and share what I'd learned, bring together experts and other resources and create a space where we could come together to champion one another. So Ultimately, that evolved into a book, a podcast, and now all kinds of virtual programs that I'm so excited to be running um, so that even in a pandemic, we can make progress in our careers and lives. Cool. And what was that process like? You said you, it, 
you know, you realized over time that that just wasn't the life you wanted to live as a political activist. Was there one moment or was it just a series of events over time? What did that look Mm. like? Great question. So to be fair, I'm still an activist, but I'm not an (laughs) operative. So being a full-time political operative is difficult and important work. And It was great for me for the time being, but I realized that I wasn't setting myself up for sustainable success. So I remember distinctly driving through my alma mater's campus in Providence, Rhode Island, driving through Brown University's campus, and I had just graduated three years earlier. I was the youngest state director in the nation serving on behalf of the newly uh, established Obama administration and things looked great on paper. I was living with and very much in love with uh, a fellow political operative who was a leader in his own right. He was an elected official locally. He was the head of an activist organization himself. And I remember being slumped over my steering wheel, stopping at a crosswalk, watching these students walking or or dragging their bags across the street to go home for Thanksgiving break. They were headed to the shuttle that would take them to TF Green Airport and go home. And I remember just looking at those students with like a jealous rage in my heart. (laughs) I was like, what is wrong with me? I don't know if you've ever caught yourself like judging your own feelings about something, Mm -hmm. but I felt not only very bad, I felt sad for feeling bad or bad for feeling sad. And I was like, what is it that I'm envious of here? What's the deal? I'm ahead of these kids, right? Like I'm like supposedly crushing it. And it was in that moment that I realized I was envious of their permission that their syllabi gave them to go home and take a break. Because I had been working nonstop since graduation, feeling like in the height of the Great Recession, I should just be grateful for whatever I could get, and especially for a great position like state director at 22. Uh, And I had a lot of autonomy. So what was my problem? What was wrong with me anyway? What can I just be grateful, you know? And it was in that moment that I realized I had been working for three solid years as though I was just waiting for the end of a semester that was never going to (laughs) arrive. You know, that feeling of like, just push through, just keep your head down, just keep your nose to the grindstone, just you'll get through it, just keep hustling hard. That shit wears off pretty fast, right? Like you just can't do that for years on end. And I remember as I like wiped these like hot frustration tears from my cheeks in the car in that moment, because I'm a frustration crier, I had some serious reconciliation to do with myself, in that moment, I was like, okay, the way I'm working, it's not working. Whatever this is, even though it looks like what success is supposed to look like on paper, this is not sustainable. I need to figure out what is and go make that happen. And for me, that looked like two years of hard transitional work on myself. Major shout out to therapy for the help for that. (laughs) I finally got into the hands of a very capable therapist into her office and it was the beginning of me asserting myself about what would and would not fly in my career and in my personal life because that high-functioning, incredibly talented man I was living with was also an alcoholic. And there was just like the constant stress of feeling like I had to save the world by day in my political job and then save my boyfriend's life by night was just not tenable. Um, So yeah, it, it didn't look glamorous. It looked really hard and It kind of looked like being a hot mess for a little while, and that's okay. Like, that's what change Mm -hmm. feels like sometimes. 
that's really inspirational and just how you got through it and, um, you know, recognize that in yourself and like really took a step to get some outside counseling. I feel like a lot of people could use that and that's not like a bad thing. That's a good thing. Totally. Yeah. I I guess it's like a reminder that we've all been sold this idea of what we should be doing with our careers and lives. And some people go through their entire lives without questioning it. But when you feel personally misaligned with what you, with what you've been taught you should want or should be doing, there's a gap there. There's like an internal, uh, sort of fissure or just like a, a serious cavernous like gap between where you feel like you should be or what you feel like you should be doing and what you are doing to, to win other people's approval or other people's permission to feel successful. And it's like when there's a time in your life when there's a big gap there, you're going to have to do things you've never had to do before to get to someplace you've never been before. You know what I mean? I think it's Tiffany Dufu, who's an author and a women's leadership expert who says, if you want to get to a place you've never been before, you have to do something you've never done before. And that's just, it's scary and hard and uncertain, but that's part of it. That's like how you change your life, period. Definitely. Um, I love that. And that sort of, I guess, goes into my next question was a lot of times I think women especially have a hard time with like speaking up and having the confidence and asserting themselves, like you said, um, doing something that they've never done before, maybe speaking up in a meeting for the first time, things like that. Um, and a lot of what you coach people on and what I've, when I listen to your podcast, you talk about is um, just speaking with more confidence. And so do you have any recommendations for taking that first step to do, you know, the scary thing, the speaking up, the being more confident? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because my programming, specifically a new offering we had called Speak Up, which is an eight-week public speaking accelerator, you know, we're, we're trying to help women be more assertive and confident, but I always pause before giving any advice on this to make sure we are all clear on the fact that this is not women's fault, <laughs> Right. What we actually need is the world to listen to women and not interrupt women and not belittle women and not be constantly degrading to women and especially women of color or just people of color in general. Right. Like our learned submissiveness or our learned risk averse behavior doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from a world that is still quite hostile to women who dare to speak up. And at some point in our lives, maybe when we we're little kids, like six years old, I remember being an Easter Sunday in church with my grandmother. I remember her telling me to just sit still and put my hands folded on my lap and cross my ankles and be a nice little good, quiet, still little girl. Those are messages that are told to young girls that aren't told to young boys. It's like, eh, he's crazy, he's wild, he's a little boy, that's fine. Little girls have to be pleasing to the eyes and ears of the world around them, right? And so we're taught from a really young age, there's even a scientific term for this called loss of voice that researchers say happens to women and girls as early as like eight, seven, 12 years old when we internalize the continuous messages we receive from the world to just shut up and be still and look pretty. And it doesn't get much easier as a young adult or as a grown ass woman. So the first step is to recognize the times when you've been silenced 
and recognize that at some point you were not silenced. What did that look like? What did that feel like? And I always say today, I'm, I'm trying to always be like live up to the expectations of my seven-year-old self. Mm-hmm. You know, what it would be like to delight my younger childlike self with my adult life. Like how can I live up to her cool expectations of me? You know, and it's not an easy thing to do, but to remember that you were born unafraid, unabashed, unshamed and go back. It's, it's more of a returning to your voice than a changing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of that looks like shedding expectations and shedding layers that society puts on us. The other quick tip I'll give you is to do this together, mm-hmm. right? We don't have to, it doesn't have to be you against the world. It's got to be you and me against the world, you know? Like we need to lift each other up, not only by amplifying fellow women's voices and disrupting interruption when we hear it and see it, but asking for allyship from anyone on the gender spectrum, you know? Like Joe and Jack and John can help me be heard too. So am I proactively seeking out mentorship from men in powerful positions who can help me? Am I asking Joe, my peer, to back me up when I'm about to present this differing opinion in the meeting? You know, asking people for support, advocating for ourselves in the same way we'd advocate for others is another way to approach this, is is recognizing you don't have to do this alone. And you can have communities of women who have your back, like at Bossed Up or wherever you get it, to champion you and help you remember how fierce you can be. Yeah, that's important. A lot of this can't be done alone. You can have all the confidence in the world, but if someone's interrupting you, it's really easy to sort of retreat or fall back into, you know, not speaking up or not giving as many opinions. So just like asking for the help from men and women, I think totally. is a good reminder. You can't do it alone. Totally. It's so hard. It's like culture change. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I speak at a lot of ERGs, employee resource groups. That's where we met. Mm-hmm. I speak at a lot of companies who care about this shit. They just don't know how to fix it. <laughs> so I think there are a few people who are malicious, but most people are not. Most people are unconsciously biased against women and people of color. And so like giving people the benefit of the doubt and recognizing that they might not know how disrespectful they're being to me right now. How can I assert myself, ask for what I need in the, in the form of support or time or respect? or whatever, and give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they just don't know. And that's exhausting to do, especially when you're, you know, experiencing microaggressions on a daily basis. But it is productive to remain in that mindset of, I can ask for what I need unapologetically, and maybe the world is ready to give me what I need. Maybe, you know, be open to that possibility. Mm -hmm. And do you recommend, like, if there is somebody that, you know, you want to give the benefit of doubt to... Is it just about setting up time with them saying, you know, you're noticing a habit of interrupting or is it all just about sort of getting one-on-one communication with somebody and like talking them through it? Do you recommend that? I mean, there's so many ways to try to curb this stuff um, that can be done on the macro level and on the micro level. But when it comes to like interruptions in particular, I just did a reel on, on Instagram about this actually. <laughs> it's funny. It's getting a lot of views. It's funny. Yeah. And interruptions are tricky. I am a big believer in calling them in and calling them out. 
So if someone's chronically interrupting people in the office or God forbid, chronically interrupting just women or chronically interrupting just people of color, call them in, take them aside, talk to them before or after and say, I want to raise this habit that I'm seeing. I want to raise awareness of this trend that's troubling to me. I'm sure you don't mean to do this. How can I help you curb this? Because this sucks. Like you don't want to look like this. I don't want you to look like this. They don't want to feel muted or I don't want to feel muted, whatever it is. The second is if you can't call them in for whatever reason, you don't have access to them, you can still call them out. You can still say in real time, John, I'm not sure Jane was finished weighing in on that. Or, you know, Jack, I'm not sure we heard the rest of what Maria was saying here. Maria, take it away. You can assertively retake the floor and hand the mic back to the person from whom it was swiped. It's definitely assertive. It's definitely not risk-free, um, but it's, it's hard for someone to see you as being really selfish if you're asserting yourself on someone else's behalf. Mm-hmm. So I think we're much more cautious on that front than we should be. I know power dynamics at work are hard to overcome, but dissent and disagreement are actually really important for all teams to be creative and to be the best decision-making bodies that they can be. So err on the side of speaking up more and, and see what happens. You know, I know it can be scary, but oftentimes we overestimate the risk and underestimate the reward. Definitely. Yeah. And it goes back to your point of just, you know, advocating on someone else's behalf, partnering with people. Totally. Um, I, I really like that. So studies show that there's a different standard for women in leadership. I think it was an HBR study. I'll have to find it again. But it was just the idea that how women need to be seen as both competent and warm in Mm. leadership. And Mm -hmm. um, men don't necessarily have that standard. And so how can women be assertive in their communication and still sort of balance this like warm, approachable with competence. I know. It's so hard. I know exactly the article you're talking about. It's called Connect Then Lead. And it's part of a troubling trend of research that shows there are major sexist double standards that we hold women leaders up to that men just don't have to deal with. Um, So whether it's being seen as aggressive, when you're just being assertive as a woman, uh, and that, and trying to tap dance on that tightrope to try to keep everybody appeased while also being seen as authoritative and competent and powerful, it's never ending. So first, I would say forgive yourself now for your imperfect practice of leadership because you will never please everyone all the time. And then second, I would think about what the research says about gender and assertiveness, which is it's the women who know how to pick their battles that win the day. We can't fight every battle. We can't be assertive about every single thing. So we have to decide when, whether, and how we're going to go to the mat for what we believe in. And when we do, when we do say, this is one of those times that I'm going to choose that tool out of my communications toolbox, go for it unapologetically right? Go ahead and say, this is something I really believe strongly in. So it's important for me to be heard and say, I think we're going in the wrong direction here. And nobody wants to work with anybody who says that at every meeting about every decision. But if you never say 
if you're always like, this is fine as the office Girl Scout who is almost too appeasing, too agreeable, and not have that executive presence of this person is discerning and thoughtful and able to communicate even tough opinions. That's great. I find myself this week actually being in a position where I, I'm like sort of saying having a strong opinion about everything, but then you're right. It almost comes across as like, then you is less effective because you can't just have such a strong opinion about every topic. I know. Right. It's, I mean, first of all, I am a woman of many strong opinions as well. So <laughs> I see you and there's no yeah. shame in that. Um, but you know, having constantly high exacting standards for everyone that can never be met, including yourself all the time. Um, starts to lose their effect, right? Like you're saying, it's kind of like a boy cried wolf story. So we have to pick our battles. What what really matters to us and when will we go to the mat for something we believe in? It's okay to be disagreed with. It's okay to be unlikable. <laughs> you know, like it's okay to be some days more likable than others. So we just have to decide what serves my leadership purpose. Why am I doing this? Why am I going to the mat for this? If it's on the behalf of our clients, for the good of our company, for the good of our team, for the good of my direct reports, fine. Like that's motivating purposeful leadership. If it's for ego, if it's for credit, if it's for face saving, um, we see that in leadership all the time, especially super male leadership. And it's not a good look. So I think all leaders are motivated to go to the mat for what we believe in and be really assertive when we know why and for whom we're doing that, you know? Mm -hmm. So just keeping that in the back of your mind and thinking, is this the time to go to the mat or is this one of those times to compromise and let it, let it slide? Mm -hmm. You started the conversation with a little bit of the background with feeling a little bit of burnout with your old role. And that's how you start your book. Yep. And that's also how um, I remember you starting some of the conversation at Amex that we talked at. And I, I can, you know, definitely vouch for myself. I'm feeling very burned out right now. And I think a lot of other people are as well. There's mm. really no more like work-life balance. Um, right. It just doesn't seem to exist in the way that it used to. Do you have any tips for beating burnout during the pandemic? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, first of all, it's hard, right? This is not normal. We are not in normal times. And so acknowledging or expecting normalcy from ourselves is not reasonable right now. <laughs> so it's, it's helpful to know the difference between burnout and just everyday stress too. Burnout happens as a result of chronic stress. Stress in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Like our bodies are designed to respond to stress in a really cool way. So if we hear a fire drill, we get up and go. That's good. That's helpful. You know, it, it inspires action. It gets us out of latency and out of passive observation and into action. Sometimes we need that good kick in the pants. So physiologically, we're wired to respond to stressors. And then after we respond, after we escape the saber-toothed tiger, our body returns to a state of homeostasis, right? So normalcy, our, 
our heart rate goes back to normal, our breathing goes back to normal, basic functions in our biology like digestion continue after they were suspended during that elevated period of stress. And that actually leaves your nervous system stronger. Kind of like how a very stressful, high-intensity interval training workout stresses you out in small intervals, and then you have rest and renewal to recover. And so just like a, a workout like that strengthens your muscles, acute forms of stress strengthens your mental state and your your um, your adrenal glands, right? Your whole uh, nervous system. However, what happens when your nervous system is triggered every day, all day, for as long as you can remember, for seven and a half months now, right? When we are in a state of global chronic stress, we have no end in sight. We don't know what's going to happen or when we'll be able to take a break from feeling scared turning on our TV every day. Your body actually starts to break down. So if we don't complete the stress cycle and go back to that state of homeostasis, our brains actually start to shrink, starting with the part of our brain that helps us manage stress. So if you ever had one of those long weeks or long months that ended with you doing something stupid, like locking your keys in the car, that wouldn't normally like trigger you into a total meltdown, but because it came at the end of a long week or day or month, you're like sobbing on the sidewalk, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like weeping over your keys being locked in your car. And that's the experience of chronic stress. So what we need to acknowledge is we're all in a state of chronic stress and elevated stress levels. If you don't personally take responsibility for completing your own personal stress cycle on a regular basis through exercise or crying or laughing, any kind of a release of stress, music, painting, dance, movement of some kind, then you're going to wake up every day experiencing that same chronic stress that we're all going through right now, except your body has not yet flushed the stress hormones from yesterday away. So you need to really think about wringing your whole nervous system out at the end of every day or at the start of every day and making your stress recovery as regular as your stressors. And for most of us, that means daily. Mm-hmm. So shutting down the computer, it doesn't matter if you get that late night slack, shut the computer down, yeah. go exercise. Yeah. It's Re- different for everyone. That's the thing, mm-hmm. right? Like full-time stay-at-home parents, I mean, we're all stay-at-home right now, but like full-time parents have different stressors that like turning on their computer might feel like a wonderful escape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it really, true, just, yeah. it really just depends on knowing your unique stresses and stressors the best and what you uniquely feel renewed by. Because let me tell you, a lot of us default to scrolling endlessly on Instagram and watching trashy reality TV and eating a banana nut muffin and having a beer. And like, those are kind of socially normalized de-stressors that actually don't renew you that well. Mm -hmm. So I think instead of just passive renewal, like vegging out, I would think of active renewal. When's the last time you felt engaged in some artistic pursuit? Like for me, what I'm really craving right now is a hike. I need to be in nature. I haven't hiked in two weeks and that's too long for me in Denver, Colorado. So like immersing yourself in an environment that actually leaves you feeling renewed. And I, t- I don't feel that same way after two hours of Netflix binging that I do after a two hour hike. So it just really depends on the person and, and what kind of active forms of renewal leave you feeling actually better. That's so true. With different forms leave you feeling differently. A Netflix right. show definitely doesn't have the same 
like end result for me as going for a run does, for example. Exactly. And it's hard because like the motivational hurdle Mm -hmm. of getting yourself going on that run is there. It's like real. It's way higher than turning on Netflix. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like remembering what the benefit is has to get you over that initial hump of like, I don't want to do this. (laughs) And lately, I mean, you're catching me in a, I don't want to do this kind of mood. Like I have just been trying to motivate myself to get back to my morning run for like three days now. And it's Halloween candy season over here. And I just am like, no, don't really feel like putting the running sneakers on this morning. So you have to figure out what's going on with yourself and, and, and design around it. So for me, I realized the only way I'm going to work out is if I have an accountability buddy of some kind. So I texted my dad who is no fitness guru, let me say, but like he lives near me. And I was like, I am in a serious fitness motivational slump. Who wants to go on a hike at 5 PM today? Cause I am I don't care where we go. Let's go for a walk. I don't care. We got to do something. And he's like, I'm in. So knowing that he's counting on me mm-hmm. is the only thing that's going to get me over my motivational hump right now. <laughs> yeah. He's your you accountability know? partner. I hope you yeah. get to that hike. Me too. Me too. We'll see. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today and uh, for meeting with me. I'm really happy to meet with you in person again a few years yeah. after our first meeting. Uh, but where can listeners find you? Thank you so much, Olivia. It's so great to reconnect. Uh, and I think what you're doing is awesome. So wherever you're listening to this, you can probably find my podcast, Bossed Up. Uh, it's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, you name it. It's all over the place. And we produce two new episodes every single week. You can also head to bossedup.com for tons of free resources for job seekers, women leaders on the rise, and uh, those who are a little bit burnt out and craving community from like-minded, ambitious women. So I hope to keep in touch and connect with y'all there. And thank you, Olivia. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much, Emily. I really appreciate it too. Thank you so much to Emily for joining the coffee chat. If you're interested in learning more, definitely check out her podcast and her book called Bossed Up. And also, if you're looking to have a speaker come to a work event, you can check out Emily's website. She does a ton of speaking engagements, which is how I was initially introduced to her a few years ago. Here's my favorite takeaway from my interview with Emily. Emily and I are both women with many strong opinions, and so my favorite part of the conversation is when we were talking about picking your battles. Ultimately, the women who pick their battles win. Not everything can be super urgent and super important. And when you pick something that's really important to you and you fight for that unapologetically, then it has a much higher impact than fighting for everything. And this was just a really important lesson for me Um, to not fight for every little thing. If you've experienced this in your own life, I'd love to hear from you. And I can also share a few examples from my experience as well. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review and subscribing on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening. Also, another way to support the show is by taking a screenshot of the episode and sharing it on social. It goes a long way in spreading the word about the podcast.